Hello again, restaurant and hospitality industry friends, and welcome to another episode of While We Were Waiting, a podcast that highlights the funniest, most uplifting, and sometimes even downright crazy stories from inside the restaurant. I'm your host, Martha Madison. And I'm her husband and co-host, AJ Gilbert. Today, we're going to catch up on this week's restaurant news, and we'll be chatting with our awesome friend, Emma Roberts, currently the general manager at the Draycott in Los Angeles, California. We'll also share our favorite stories about our worst guest experience. It's going to be so fun. I can't wait. But first... We packaged a game that we played with Charlie. So I I wanted a couple of things that we should introduced with this is that she's been singing a lot of Lion King songs, right? Yes. uh, During her uh, quarantine time, she has now become very obsessed with the Lion King movies and also the the TV show, The Lion Guard, which is, I guess, for her age group. So it's been a lot of animal noises lately. So we bribe her to be quiet by getting to participate, and she wanted to sing one of her favorite songs. So It's a problem free. Philosophy, Akuna Matata. So, Charlie, what is mommy's job? Uh, calling people and giving them jobs and going, blah, blah, blah. Hi, Agatha, blah, blah, blah. All right, so you're talking. <laughs> you, right. Charlie, what does daddy do for a living? Do you know? I, and let me just remember. Um, I, I, I think he just sits up here all day and sits up here all day and just um, edits the podcast. Before the podcast, <laughs> what, did I do? what does Daddy do at the restaurant? Do you know? Builds things and expects them, and all he has to say is, is all he has to say is it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Put this here. <laughs> Put that there. If you had your own restaurant, what kind of food would you serve? Um, gelato, pizza, and suckers. <laughs> and what would you call it? What would the name of your restaurant be? Gelato pizza. The about, name of your restaurant would be gelato pizza? How about cow pie? No, gelato pizza! <laughs> AJ, stop trying to make cow pie work. It's not going to ever work. Who do you think is better at the restaurant business, mommy or daddy? Uh, it's a hard decision. Why? Uh, because you're both really good at it. Oh, you get a treat. <laughs> hey, Charlie, do you like homeschool? No. Do you think mommy's a good teacher? No. <laughs> Miss do you Sweeney want me- is a better teacher. Miss Sweeney is the better teacher. Well, I think we should dive right into the news because there's been a lot of it in the restaurant world. AJ, let's uh, kick it off. Sure. I wanted to mention a couple of things. First of all, for those that are listening, thank you so much for doing so. Reviews help a lot move our placement up in the app stores or in the uh, podcast stores. So if anyone is inclined to write a review, we'd certainly appreciate it. Um, And I just wanted to reflect on how nice it's been to catch up with Emma, our guest this week, and Pierre, and talk to people from the past, you know, of all the kind of proactive, productive things that we've been able to channel out of this odd time. 
Catching totally. up with people we used to work with has been fantastic. And it's just been great to talk to everybody. And I, I really enjoyed our conversation with Emma. I really enjoyed our conversation with Pierre last week. And I hope that we get to continue to talk to some people from the past before we kind of evolve the show into talking to, to guests that we maybe don't know. But uh, it's just been great. So thank you guys for doing it. True. And you know, you at home don't need a podcast to do that. Everyone's at home. Reach out. Talk to your friends. This is a great time to reconnect with all of your families of the past. Yeah, I think that's well said. So restaurant news. Well, you know, in in the pandemic, we are moving into a new phase. I mean, whether you're in California or you're in Georgia, it's happening uh, or talk of it is happening. And we're starting to look at how to reopen. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I had some... Uh, Celebration music, because in Texas, now restaurants on Friday can open with 25% of their dining room, right? (laughs) Can you hear the party horns? I can hear the party horn. (laughs) I don't think you need a party horn in Texas. It's just a hearty yeehaw. (laughs) Well, it's not, though, because it sucks. And 25% is, you might as well stay closed. I Whatever the logic is, this is not a real solution. This is an argument to say restaurants can reopen. A dining room at 25% doesn't make sense. And then beyond that, you did a survey on Twitter. If people are comfortable going out, what were the results? Right. So I had on my Twitter, which you can go and check it out at Marth27, but I put up a poll asking my followers, would you go out and dine in a full service restaurant this Friday night? And almost 700 people voted and it was an 86% hell no. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll post this on the website, but I took a picture from CNN today and NPR did a survey and it was 80%, and this is a national survey of people said they don't want to go out to eat yet because right. it's not safe. And listen, it's not. I was looking at a <laughs> picture. I was looking at a picture from Instagram uh, from a restaurant here in Dallas that's pretty well regarded. And cooks were taking a uh, roast ham out of the oven. They were really proud of this ham that they had made, and they were making faces at how delicious it looked. And it looks like a picture they posted on Instagram of two chefs blowing on food. Right. Uh, and No masks, no gloves, holding the piece of food that they're about to serve to their guests. Right. And there is so much work. So we, were, we did an online happy hour with my cousin who works for a big shopping mall company. And they are working on all the systems and hand sanitizing stations and closing every other urinal in the in the men's rooms and mask dispensers and all these systems that they're going to need, whether the security guards are going to tell people to stay six feet apart. This is Policies a big on trying on clothes. <laughs> yeah, no, no returns for clothes, all these things. And this is a publicly traded company, and this is how they're getting ready for the potential that customers will come back in. And independent restaurants, especially when they're told on Wednesday that they're going to reopen on Friday, they just don't have the resources to do this. Well, there's also no way to enforce it. I mean, what are they going to do? Come and shut you down if you're at 30% capacity? I mean, there's there's nobody nobody from the government is going to come in and monitor this. So you know that there are going to be the renegade groups that have a full house that are going to see as many people as they can 
And, you know, this is this my fear, although I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but just kind of looking at the long game is that this is exactly the kind of thing that's going to lead to the second outbreak that then is going to require that we have a second shutdown. And it's one thing to survive the first shutdown as a business and as a person, for that matter. Uh, It's a very different thing to have to come back from a second one. People are anxious. People are protesting. People want businesses open. Not a lot of people are protesting, but it's natural. People want to go back to work. A lot of people haven't gotten unemployment. It all makes sense. The real problems are that people feel financially insecure. And whether you're a restaurant owner, a waiter, a cook, if we could solve the financial insecurity until we can figure out the health stuff and not deal with these 25%, 50% and all these weird things, I just think that it would just be so much better for society in terms of keeping us together as a country and making people feel safe and then for people's health. In Atlanta, apparently the first weekend, you know, they opened restaurants at about 50% and people went out for like one day and then business dropped right off. I just don't, this is, this is an illusion that's being kind of foisted on people to pretend like restaurants are open. And I just, I don't think people are going to go out. Right. Well, on that note, AJ and I uh, both were very, very sick in February, and we've been talking back and forth uh, at our house about how we thought for sure we had coronavirus back then, because I was traveling to LA at least once, sometimes twice a week, and um, you know, I just figured that would make sense. You know, we were both sick at that time, and AJ had talked about losing his sense of taste at one point, so. The antibody test came online here in Texas yesterday. So we rushed down there and got our blood drawn thinking, well, we're going to get these results. They're going to tell us we've already had it. And then we'll have some leeway, right? We don't have to be so afraid of getting it. So they said three to five days. But of course, it was less than 24 hours. They called us this morning and told us that we were both negative for the antibodies, which was crazy to me because I had a flu test and it was negative and we were super sick, but yeah. we did well, not we have, have coronavirus. A, <laughs> we probably do now after going to the doctor's office. While We Were Waiting is brought to you by One House Hospitality Recruiters, a full service hospitality recruitment firm serving all of North America. For more information, check out our website at one-house.com. That's O-N-E-H-A-U-S.com. So I'm really excited to introduce everybody to our guest today, Emma Roberts. She's a very good friend of ours uh, who we've worked with in the past. Welcome to the show, Emma. Hi, Emma. Thanks, guys. Emma, where are you from? Where is your accent from? I am from Campbellsville, Kentucky. Uh, It's a small working town in uh, central Kentucky, Bluegrass State. So I love my bourbon. So the Draycott is in the Pacific Palisades, which is where I went to high school and one of the most beautiful parts of Los Angeles, perhaps a little bit sleepy. But when when I was in high school and when I spent more time in the Pacific Palisades, there weren't a lot of nice restaurants there. I looked at the website and it looks like a beautiful kind of downtown restaurant in the suburban Pacific Palisades. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, we're definitely the flagship restaurant in the Palisades. Um, very family oriented. Our ownership definitely has quite a lot of um, family activities. You know, whether it's balloons and bubbles for moms to come out and drink champagne while the kids are playing with a balloon artist, or you know, live music on Mondays with a local uh, a local vocalist that we have coming in when we were open. So 
definitely very much like that. Yes, it is more of a sleepy town. It is not that much of a bar crowd. Um, but I don't mind, you know, some, some nights I get home by 10 or 11 and I'm not, I'm not mad at that. <laughs> that's that's unusual for the restaurant business, especially as a GM. Mm-hmm. So you're running this beautiful restaurant in the Pacific Palisades, and at some point near the beginning of the year, you start to hear about a virus in in China, perhaps. Or what? How did you experience the beginning of the pandemic? What was that like for you at work? Yeah, you know, it literally happened overnight. Um, it. it it actually probably took about three business days for us to realize, oh shit, this is going to be a huge impact on us. Um, my sales just went extremely drastically, like cut in half. You know, I lost 60, uh, 60 reservations in one night. I think it was that Saturday, like uh, the 13th or 14th or something. And I think the 15th of March was that Sunday. And that was the day that ownership made the call, Emma, call everybody, furlough them. You know, we don't know what's going on, but we cannot, you know, realistically open and operate with these kind of numbers. So, you know, took a couple. So this was before, this was before the state of California or Los Angeles ordered restaurants to close. There just wasn't enough business to support staying open. I, I think it was a day or two. It was 24 to 48 hours before the official ban. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very, very sharp decline, uh, very alarming, out of the blue. Uh, and none of us knew what the heck was happening. And, you know, I, I think that that was the call. You were the one that was making the calls <laughs> to furlough your staff. How did that go? Yeah, um, it it was mixed. I would say 90% of the people that picked up their phone understood and, you know, were saddened by the news, as was I. And then you have the very small percentage that almost took it a bit personally. Like, wait, you're doing this to me? Why me? I'm your best employee. Why would you consider letting me go or laying me off? And so you have to have that conversation like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is going to hit the news tomorrow mm-hmm. and you're going to see this has nothing to do with you. This is literally every single business in Los Angeles right now. And so uh, I had to have those conversations. And then and then for our employees who might not um, have English as their first language, that was a bit of a, a, a challenge to communicate that. Um, mm-hmm. But they understand and, um, and and that's painful. That's a painful conversation to have. Yeah. And now you guys are still offering takeaway or what are your, what's your business operation look like today? Yeah. So about maybe two, 10 days to two weeks in, um, we, we continued speaking with ownership, um, my chef and my sous chef and myself, and we decided to come in and, um, and at least for a, a time do some volunteer work, meaning, um, all calls would go to my personal cell. Mm-hmm. I would take all to-go <laughs> orders throughout the day. I, I had an Excel spreadsheet that I still use. I fill it out um, per time slot. Uh, and then things started happening. We we opened five nights a week for a few hours every night. Um, we, we got a lot, a lot of community support the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Third weekend was Passover. Um, so we dropped in sales that week. Mm-hmm. Easter was a very successful takeaway day for us. Um, since then we've kind of been back up a little bit, uh, and now we're looking forward to mother's day and 
I cannot wait to take all those orders on myself. I really can't. So excited. So, many- <laughs> so all of this is all of this is to go business though, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And how many people are working at the restaurant now? Obviously there's yourself and there's right. somebody in the kitchen. What what other staff is there? Uh, my sous chef, my chef and myself and we're the, the we're the team. Um, <laughs> wow. we've been put back on partial salary, which is wonderful. And then we also have two other uh, guys that come in, Nino, who works the line with the, the kitchen, and then Mario, who has become our driver. And Mario uh, just, you know, Mario's one of these hustlers, whatever I say he'll do, he won't question, which probably he should sometimes, but he that. takes it and he goes and he runs into the wind wherever, wherever <laughs> I'm pointing, he'll go. So I appreciate that about him. And uh, basically, Mario's my guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've also added um, three tablets, meaning we've added um, partnership with DoorDash, Postmates, and Caviar. Uh, and it is interesting, you know, occasionally we won't get any orders from them. And then other nights we'll get, you know, five or $600 worth, which is, which is a great income for us. Mm-hmm. And how many people are furloughed? How many people are laid off now? Oh, um, about 50. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we're from 50 to about five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about going to work now? Do you feel safe? Do you enjoy it? Are you jealous of your friends that are <laughs> home collecting unemployment? What? Where are you with that? Gosh, I, I guess um, for me personally, it feels really good to get out. Um, it, it causes extreme anxiety for me to be inside all the time. So I'm really thankful to be able to, to have uh, an outlet to, to move and to get around. Yes, there are times when I'm just like, oh, man, I really just want to hang out and not do anything. But I'm one of those thousands of however many people it is, I still can't get through to unemployment. I still have had so many issues. I can't collect anything. I'm getting mixed signals. I can't get through to anybody. So, you know, in that sense, I'm grateful I was able to collect some cash tips for the first few weeks there until we went back to partial salary. And that that will help me. Um, with my mortgage. Um, right. So I'm, I'm glad for that. So have you guys talked about the next step, what a reopening would look like or a partial reopening? Have you discussed how to mitigate people coming too close together? What kind of precautions you're going to take when the dining room opens? We have. Uh, Chef's actually been working already on a Drake Cot 2.0 menu. We're going to minimize it. We're very European focused. Uh, we It's more of an English fair type background plus a Southern California flair, if you will. And um, so our chef has been working on that. And for us, a front of the house, uh, what I really do envision is separating my booths, my tables. Um, you know, Martha, I noticed your your Twitter feed had that poll about how many people would be comfortable going back to a full service dining situation. And you know, 90% said no. (laughs) Right. And so realistically for us, I don't think it's going to happen until June, July, the earliest. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I I do think that that is, um, a very real thing. Yeah. 
Okay, well, let's uh, go ahead and turn the page to story time. Uh, we are going to be telling and sharing our favorite stories about our worst guest experience. And I know everyone who's worked in restaurants and is listening right now has that one terrible experience. I have many, actually. But I thought I would share one that might be a little bit outside the lines. when we were working at Henry's Hat, which was our restaurant in Studio City, it was a really lively sports bar. And on the weekends, we would get packed. And I always loved to work behind the bar. So I was bartending that night. And we were packed probably five deep at the bar. It was very loud, hard to hear anybody. And I saw this man approach the bar by himself. And I recognized him from the gym across the street where I also worked out. And he kind of looked at me and waved. And I looked at him and waved. I heard him say, I'd love a vodka and cranberry. So I went to make the vodka and cranberry. Uh, I turned around, I gave it to him. He gave me some cash. I went to the register to ring up the drink. And all of a sudden I hear him slam the drink down and say, oh my God. for 22 years I asked for a cranberry and he just it looked like the blood just drained out of his face and I felt so bad and he was so mad <laughs> think that he was single and and looking for love and needed a prop drink but I still <laughs> still don't think he should have been in a bar and the terrible part was that I had to continue running into him at the gym across the street and know that I had thrown this man off of his sobriety trail of 22 years. And so while it's not the angry guest or the inconsolable guest, it is not a good guest to be a recovering alcoholic coming into the busiest bar in Studio City and ordering a drink at the bar. Langham Huntington Hotel. So you have to keep in mind, I am from a very tiny town in Cam Campbellsville, Kentucky, you know, and we have the Holiday Inn Express, which I'm thankful for. And we have a super Walmart, which is great, but it's nothing like living in Los Angeles and seeing these insanely stunning and rich and luxurious hotels. I never really been in that kind of bar heavy live music atmosphere about maybe a year year and a half in um, I learned a lot but I was still pretty green at a few things such as customer conflict it was a Friday or Saturday night and we had this incredible live band every weekend I mean people were just boozing it up and dancing and just grinding on each other you know and we had this specific couple I can't remember their names, but they kept coming in and I don't know, kept kind of just scouting the crowd, kind of like low key uh, in the corner, but just kind of were watchers. Like they just look at people and they weren't really too active on the dance floor. They started bringing this third person in and it was another female. He was a short white man with very bleach blonde hair. 
she also had bleach blonde hair, a little skinny lady. And uh, the, the, the third one, I can't remember. Um, she was not very pleasing to the eye. I remember that. Uh, but hey, take what you can get, right? So that, that was their motto and good for them. One of these nights, um, they, I think, had a lot to drink. And they uh, they were just sitting right in the entrance of the bar. I mean, it wasn't even hidden. It was right under the spotlight. And it, they're, they're in the main booth that you see when you walk directly in. And the women start kissing each other along with him. You know, and people started, like, taking pictures. And they were, it was just, like, egging them on. They were, like, the more attention they were getting the more they were doing and the more, you know, brave they would become. And I'm like blushing like 15 shades of red. I'm like, oh Lord, you know, I've never seen this before. I was from, I'm from Kentucky. Like, oh, the shame, you know, all that. And, you know, then they started groping each other and, you know, breasts started being touched and hands were all over each other. And I'm just like, oh God, this is, this is bad. And I'm the one in charge. What am I going to do? I'm going to lose my job. I don't know how to handle this. So the hotel general manager um, was there. He was in the corner where he usually was just um, drinking by himself. And he rarely spoke to me. It was also a little complicated to understand what he would say. He had a very thick accent. He was from England. He says, tell them they're being too amorous and they need to go to their room. And I thought I misunderstood him. I was like, wait, you want me to use the word amorous? I, I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, I think that means amour, which in French means love. Well, I'd much preferred at that point in my life for him to come and handle it, but he didn't. So, you know, I kind of felt like I was throwing the fire. So I went over them all <laughs> sheepish and introduced myself as the bar supervisor. I probably went to him and like poked him on the shoulder while he's like grabbing his wife's breast and the other woman too. Excuse me, can you please cut it out? You know, but I'd like to think I was like, excuse me, you know, my name is Emma Roberts. I'm the bar supervisor. Uh, could you please take your amorous affections for, for each other to your hotel room? This guy stood up and he just started, started like losing his shit on me and basically just told me to go fuck off. You know, all my employees are looking at me like, oh gosh, just she's, you know, she's still new in this management role. Like how she's going to handle this. And then all the regulars who were there too, like, oh, poor Emma. And I mean, then the two women stood up and backed him up. So all three of them were chewing me out. I'm doing my best not to cry. I was being booed, you know, and the crowd was just like, what? We love this. And I'm like, but I don't, this is my business. Get the fuck out of here. So the next thing I know, you know, the hotel general manager and the hotel security had walked into the conversation. Um, and you know, <laughs> obviously the threesome left and eventually left for their room. Um, that was my introduction to the not so fun side of hospitality. <laughs> If it was me today, I would have approached it completely differently and been way more confident as I've grown in this job and just handled it like a boss. When you go from being a manager to a leader, things change, right? And I think we all, uh, as we grow in our career, there's little situations like this that might give you a little more confidence or that might, you know, push you and propel you to the next step of, of being the best self that you can be. Thank you.
So we're going to go back to Luna Park, San Francisco, back to 2000, 2001, around the opening. Joe and I opened the restaurant. We were the owners, but like most partnerships, we had silent partners. One of our partners was our landlord, who I'm going to call Chip. Silent partners in restaurants say that they're the owners. That's one of the reasons they do it, is to say that they own restaurants. And one of the things you get when you get an investor in a restaurant is you get their social life because they're going to bring their friends. Chip was a great partner and a good friend and, and very supportive. Uh, his friends could be rude and disrespectful. We had a lot of very attractive young women that worked at Luna Park San Francisco. We had a lot of very attractive young men. It was a very young staff. It was a young neighborhood. Luna Park was probably known for having a, an attractive staff. And Chip's friends didn't always deal with that very well. And it was always kind of a point of contention. because This was a bunch of middle-aged, divorced men. They didn't have the best manners in the, in the restaurant. He had one friend who was a banker that he was working with. Most of these people I would meet, they didn't know who I was, and they would show, kind of show themselves when they would first come in the restaurant. I remember this guy was just really rude and obnoxious. So he would come in like he knew the owner, which I guess technically he knew an owner. But he was just an entitled douchebag, and he treated people badly. A group of waitresses took me aside, and they said, Chip's friend is harassing us. He's trying to touch us. Uh, he's always looking at us and treats us really badly, and he doesn't tip well. And so I called Chip, and I said, listen, your friend is getting complaints from the staff, behaving inappropriately, and we don't want him in the restaurant anymore. And Chip relayed the message, and the guy didn't come in anymore, and I thought that was that. Like a week later, I got an envelope from a bank uh, with a letter inside that was written by Chip's friend, and it was an apology. And what he wanted was to be able to come back into the restaurant. A lot of his friends would go, and he wasn't allowed to visit anymore. And he was trying to get permission to come back. Now, it's important to include that English wasn't his first language. So he was writing a letter in English to apologize for his behavior. When I talked to Chip, Chip said, what is he doing? How is he looking at the waitresses? And I said, well, he's making them uncomfortable. And Chip said, he's looking at their tits and asses, right? I said, well, I, I, I'm sure that's, that's part of it, but I don't know that that's the whole story. But yeah, I, I, I think we can assume that's, that's part of their complaint. That specific language had been relayed from Chip to his friend when he told him that he wasn't allowed to come to Luna Park anymore. And so in the letter, his friend had written, you know, I'm so sorry, and uh, I really do like the restaurant, and I, you know, I'm sorry that if people thought I wasn't tipping well and all this stuff. And he said, and I, I really want to tell you that when I look at the door, I'm looking to see if my friends have come in. I'm not looking at the waitress's asses. And when I look up, I'm looking at who's serving me because I like the staff so much. I'm not looking at their tits. And this was written in the letter. So he wrote at the bottom, he said, I hope you will share this letter with your staff so they will understand that I like the restaurant and I wasn't looking at their tits and their asses. We didn't share the, the letter with the staff. The banker didn't come in again. Well, that's not true. He came in one more time about four years later, and he had a credit card, and he was asking if I could run a $20,000 transaction on the credit card and give him 
$18,000 cash. We didn't have that much cash. I probably would have done it if we'd had the cash in there. But uh, 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 we didn't have that much cash, so he had to go on his way. I did learn a few years later, actually, when I was being deposed in a court case where somebody else was being sued, I did learn that, uh, that he had been fired from the bank for writing loans against inflated assets and in some business deal he had with Chip. So maybe he's seeing some asses now. Well, thank you for tuning in to While We Were Waiting. And thank you to our guest, Emma Roberts, General Manager of the Draycott in Los Angeles. You can find out more about them on their website at thedraycott.com. And you can find us at whilewewerewaitingpodcast.com. And also on Instagram and Facebook at Waiting Podcast and Twitter at Waiting underscore podcast. Also, if you're like me and you need some visuals to connect to the stories that we told today, just check out our website under episode pictures and you'll see everything you need uh, for what we talked about today. Now, please like, share and subscribe where all podcasts are found. And if you'd like to share your stories with us, we want to hear from you. Just shoot us an email at stories at while we were waiting podcast.com. Until we meet again, stay home, stay healthy, stay sane. Take care, everyone. Once I rose above the noise and confusion Just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion I was soaring ever higher